Hello, this is Speaks Land the Words, episode 18, and I'm your host, Dave. So this episode is a conversation with Charlie Dore. Charlie is a singer-songwriter in her own right, but she's also written for many artists, including Celine Dion and Tina Turner. Just as a side note, there's a really interesting part where she talks about hanging out with George Harrison, so stay tuned for that. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash warnerchapeluk and on our Twitter at warner underscore chapel and on our YouTube at youtube.com forward slash warnerchapelmusic. Chapel spelled C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L. Well, Charlie, thank you very much for coming in and chatting to us here on the podcast. I'm sure you have many fantastic stories uh, to tell us about your experience in music and writing songs. But uh, before we, we go anywhere, um, why music? Why music? Um, well, it, um, I started out in life as an actress. That's where I was headed. And I guess music just kept kind of pulling at my sleeve. What age was that that you were, you were thinking you're going to be an actress? Um, well, from the age of about 11, mm. I was capering around um, doing, look, mummy, look at me being <laughs> this and that. And, you know, musicals, I, I suppose I thought I was going to be a kind of Julie Andrews type, you know. Um, and um, I, I always sang because I c- came from a family of, of people who played and sang. My mum played piano. She played uh, piano in a band called the Tetherdown Night Owls, and uh, she was a great pianist. Um, and uh, so there was a lot of music in my house, but I was sort of, I, I thought I, I wanted to be in the Royal Shakespeare Company and, um, you know, give people my Juliet and my Lady Macbeth. And uh, that was, and I went to drama school, and that's, that's you know, what I was, that's where I was headed. Mm. But I played the guitar from about the age of uh, 14 horrible guitar with really really painful strings that yeah. cut my fingers yeah and cost nuppence so, so that that age when you were growing up with the family um what music were you exposed to around with your siblings and with your parents um well um from my mum it was a cross between Chopin and Debussy and and uh, Elgar and uh, things like that. But she was also she had an ear, you know, she could play by ear really well. So she was picking up the Beatles and uh, um, Paul Simon stuff, and she would just kind of hear it on the radio and she she reproduce it, she play it. And um, so I was I was hearing that my own sort of music that I first fell in love with, I suppose, really was the Beatles. But you know that was that was my first. What were your tracks? What were your, what were your first tracks? Of- uh, first tracks that I really loved. The first thing I learned to play that was a Beatles song was "Things We Said Today" because at, at first it seemed so easy. It seemed to like have two chords, and then it got very. I, I would always play the first verse, and then suddenly it's like, oh, oh, there's another bit. Oh, never mind that bit. Uh, that was at you know about fourteen, and mm. um, uh, but I loved things like um, "And Your Bird Can Sing," such a clever song. Oh, actually, that was a George song. Um, and I loved Eleanor Rigby, and I loved, I just loved, I, I mean, there were very little stuff I didn't love with the Beatles. Such a huge archive of music that's yeah. so good uh, as and well. Yes, and so, I mean, so many years ago now, it's still influencing people, which is something, Absolutely, isn't it? yeah, it yeah. is, yeah. So growing up into your teenage years, you began to choose your own music by the sounds of it. Yes. Beyond the Beatles, what else were you listening to? Um, Were you listening to other genres as well at the same time? Oh, oh yes. I mean, I, I, um, I love Stevie Wonder. Yeah. He's listened to a lot of Stevie Wonder. 
um, and Aretha Franklin. I mean, no one I could sing like, you know, because I have a very white, folky, country-type voice. But I just love that other stuff. It's mm. just my voice won't go around those corners, <laughs> you know. But, uh, uh, and I loved um, Paul Simon, who I still love, I think is a master. Randy Newman, I think, is an um, absolute master of um, melody, and he's very funny, um, witty. I love Loudon Wainwright, um, who kind of got pushed out into the, uh, you know, into the backwards, really, because of his terribly famous and children, you know, Rufus and Martha. Yeah. Um, but he's uh, he's kind of coming forward a bit again now, you know, getting his just desserts. And, yeah. and I always thought he was brilliant. He impressed me a lot. And the McGarrigal sisters, big, you know, I'm a huge fan. You can hear that in my music. So, so at what point um, were you beginning to write songs in your life? What kind of age? Um, I, I guess my first little things that you could call songs were when I was when I was about 14. Okay. <clears throat> I wrote some really terrible blackmail stuff, you know, that yeah. uh, I would pay. Luckily, that it wasn't recorded, really. Not on anything that survives, anyway, mm. you know. And how would you go about writing songs when you were 14? What would you do? Well, it was a question of what I could play, you know what I mean? So if, for instance, I'd been learning things we said today, you know, so that's E minor, um, A minor. Well, actually, is it E minor, A minor? I can't remember. Anyway... I'm sure I'll be corrected right in, viewers. Um, but uh, I, uh, yes, it was, it was chords I could play, or if I found a new chord, that would be a whole excuse for a, you know, a new, a new song, you know, that built around that, you know. Oh, I found an augmented, you know, that I can actually play. That would mean a whole new song. And I was very, you know, at 14, 15, you're so impressionable, and um, you don't have the kind of thing that, you have as an older songwriter which is the critic on your shoulder you know s saying you know oh, I've heard that before that's boring that sounds like something else yeah. you you know you have it's pure it's just pure it just you're often you're reproducing your people you you love of course your heroes so that's why you do a lot of stuff that sounds like other mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. you know what, what were you writing about at that time if you can remember oh Guess what? Boys. Boys. Yeah. Boys. I was secretly engaged when I was um, 15 to an American. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, so there was a, a and um, and he was um, he was quite a bad boy. Bad. And um, and he was um, you know uh, there was a lot of heartbreak there, a lot of uh, young heartbreak. And did that come out in your writing? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I I I wrote a song about it. Many years later, as well, um, about uh, um, the idea that he he kind of wanted an open relationship, <laughs> um, but that was because he fancied my friend Shirley, you okay. know. So that was anyway. That was that's a whole other that's yeah, a, yeah, whole, it's a whole other conversation. A whole other conversation, yeah. probably not for broadcast. <laughs> yeah. So um, from that time, you were fourteen, fifteen, that mid kind of teenage years. What was the next step for you? What, what so you, you were you were interested in acting? Is that that's what you pursued yes, at that age? Yes, basically. yes, I went to drama school. Yes. Um, and so songwriting was that? Did what, did you take your, your guitar with you? Or, or yes, so yes, and, and you I just kept songwriting ever since. Basically. Yes, that's right. And 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 my first job was um, in a company called Stagecoach in in Newcastle. And how old were you? How old were you then? Eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. 
Um, and I went to drama school very early when I was 16, probably too young to actually learn anything, to be honest, I think, in retrospect. Mm -hmm. But it was good practice. And I, and I got this job and they, the, there was an ad in the, in the stage newspaper and it said, you know, wanted actor musicians who play the guitar mm -hmm. and other instruments and enjoy improvising. God, if I could get that job, you know, and I, and I got it. Amazing. It's amazing, and uh, so there was a, a big. So you moved to Newcastle. Yeah. That's a big change to go from from Harrow, and was that the first time you moved away from home as well? Uh, properly, yes, yeah. yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. It was so it was a big, big step. Yeah. Big step, exciting. Yeah, I imagine it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. So, what was the next step after that? So, continuing on the story, really. That was uh, two years um, in Newcastle and um, doing lots of uh, well, straight acting as well. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I actually did get to play Ophelia in the end, and um, and then we did rock musicals. We did we did a nude rock musical, oh, one of the first. Gracious. Yes, we did wow. one called. Um, it was based on the Back Eye, um, and um, I played Helena Thebes. <laughs> Uh, that was um, anyway. Um, draw a veil over that. Um, they thought it was hilarious, you know, the people in Newcastle, you know, who because we used to walk around, we all lived there, you know what I mean. So we oh, weren't wow. visiting actors, you know what I mean. We were part of the community, yeah. so to sort of come and, you know, go into a shop and uh, you know order a pint of milk, you know, and um, and no, suddenly realise that the guy behind the counter had been to see your show last night it was kind of funny. Anyway, so I was always playing the guitar, you know, and, and when I wasn't playing the guitar, people were usually saying, could you just play for this as well? Can you just do this? You know? Mm. And I was going, I'm it, trying to be an actress, yeah. actually, love. So at what point did you feel that you were really becoming um, a talented songwriter? Did you feel like you were making ground with learning how to write songs? You're quite a critic on your 14-year-old self. So what, at yeah. what point did you feel like you were writing songs oh well I, I suppose the acting part of my life really did kind of take over um, for quite a few years so it wasn't until I kind of came back to um, playing and writing which was when I formed a, a band um, in in the um, in the late 70s which um, and I did start writing then I suppose for real and that's when I wrote things like Planet of the Airwaves and Fear of Flying which are my first songs of that period which I would call kind of you know sort of grown-up songs um ones that were fit for human consumption sure. you know how old are you at that point as well I'd, I I I might have to kill you if I tell you oh <laughs> no you just have to work at it okay look at Wikipedia no, um but um I, I wish in a way actually that I had sort of kept with music really from from the age of about 16 in a way the acting thing was sort of it was enjoyable it was really enjoyable and I've taken a lot of that with me, you know, into performance. But I um, I kind of feel that if I'd have just stayed my course, it would have made life a lot easier later on, you know. We learn, don't we? We only, yes, only in retrospect. So, so late 70s, Yeah. it was a big time for you because that time... I got my first record deal. You got your first record deal. Do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Assigned to Ireland. And there's um, a big time for Ireland as well in the late Yes, 70s. it was. Yeah. Yes, yes, and uh, and uh, it was a it was a it was a brave signing for them, I think, at that time because it, we were doing country music at a time when um, it was the uh, 
the full force of the punk movement. So yeah. it was completely out of... Were you still based in Newcastle at this time? No, no, I, I, I was only there for a couple of years. Okay. I, was, I was back in London at that mm. point. Um, so I was, you know, completely out of kilter with, with what was oh. going on. But so, so it was very um, brave of them to yeah. sign me at that point. And I was sent to Nashville. Wow. To, to make that, that album, um, mm. which I made with um, a lovely man called Audie Ashworth, who produced all the J.J. Cale <sighs> albums. And, um, and, and we worked with the Nashville... I mean, we were, I, I went across with my um, co-writer, uh, Julian Littman, who I, I was at drama school with. Oh, yeah. As well. And we don't, we're not joined at the hip. We don't write everything together, but we, write, we work together a, a lot. lot. Yeah, a someone, lot, yeah. And we went out there together, and we were just kids in a sweet shop. You know, I we bet were you just, were, yeah. You know. In awe. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And they were really kind to these two kids from London, you know, hmm. and um, they were f- fantastic fantastic musicians yeah you know goes without saying mm. um and uh yes yeah, still um you know a lot of them still working and um you know you, are you in contact with any of them at all still i'm in touch with um the son of uh, reggie young um who's, who's an amazing guitar player he's the guy who among other things played that amazing um solo on the carpenter's um well, say goodbye to love. Da, 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 da. He does a there's a, a big screaming guitar solo in it, you know, and, and that's Reggie Young, and he d- he did loads and loads of amazing stuff, and um, uh, I'm in touch with his son. His son contacted me and said he'd like to come to a gig. Oh, that's very nice. And uh, so that was amazing to, you know, meet somebody who hadn't even existed when I met his dad. Mm. You know. So what was it like uh, crafting the first album? What, what how, how did that, um, w- in terms of like writing, were you, um, I mean, uh, you, you, you were co-writing obviously. Well, not, not so much actually on that album. There's okay. quite a lot of solo stuff, but when I was um, co-writing, mm. it, was, it was just all very kind of, um, just, I would say very innocent, very kind of not, not planned. I didn't really think about structure as such I mean I knew what I wanted to hear but uh, I wouldn't sit down and go mm, that needs to build a bit before the middle eight I would just go oh that bit's not interesting enough or whatever yeah. you know it was just done very sort of innocently and in a very naive way mm. and I just collected the songs that I liked the most and the ones that used to go down well when we did gigs mm. you could it's helpful to have that reaction yeah. To your, to your yes, songs, and yeah. that's what I mean. That's all I was used to, you know. I never recorded before. So, how was um, writing with somebody else? How would how would it all yes. kind of sound? Yes, I mean, uh, um, writing with Julian, who I of course know really well. Um, he would just come in because he's a he's a much more um, experienced well, well experienced. He's just a better guitar player than me actually. So he would come in with riffs and things like that, you know, that mm. we could build on, you know, that sort of thing. Working with somebody, it's it's. I mean, I'm I'm a very sort of basic musician, and I know I play guitar and keyboards, and that's what I write on, or ukulele sometimes. Um, but I, 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 I know about voicings and harmonies I want to hear, and so sometimes if I work with somebody who's a, a more proficient player than me, it's nice to draw, you know, all their s- sense of harmony and their you know their knowledge basically, mm. you know. Yeah. 
and and that's what I enjoy about working with musicians. Although I write tunes as well as words, although I'm perhaps known a bit better for being a wordsmith. Mm-hmm. You know. And so you you worked for some time on Rainbow. Oh yes. Tell us about that. Uh, it came about because um, when I was in Newcastle. Oh, so this is back. This is way, way, way. Oh, back. this is way back. Okay. Way back. This is after Newcastle. Okay. We came down from Newcastle mm-hmm. and did Rainbow, um, because somebody saw us playing up there. This is with um, Julian Lippman and Carl Johnson, who's now a very successful actor. Saw the three of us playing, and and said that the team who had been doing it um, were leaving, and did we want to audition? And so we we said, um, what's the money? You know. Oh yeah, big question, isn't <laughs> and it? And they. Well, and, and to us, earning equity minimum in, in the regions, you know, which was hardly anything. What they paid us for doing television in London seemed extraordinary. We couldn't believe our luck, you know, we were getting paid all this money. And then somebody said to me, have you joined PRS? And I went, what's PRS? And they said, well, you, you get paid, you know, for when your songs are broadcast. And you go... But we've already been paid for doing that. We, we get paid, you know, like for doing the show. And they go, no, no, you get paid for it going out as well. And you go, fantastic. What a piece of luck. Yeah. Get paid twice. So we joined. But, but uh, yes, yeah, so Rainbow, we had to write three songs a week um, on different subjects because they recorded three programs a week. So you're given a kind of a brief or as yeah, it were. Yes, yes. I'm sure that might probably changed your writing style in a way, did, did it? Well, it, it it was a real discipline, yes, it was yeah. a discipline, mm-hmm. very much a discipline. Well, I guess in a way that just only aids your craft, doesn't it? Yes, well, yes, and it had to be, you know, it had to be two and a half minutes or three minutes or whatever, you know, and there was not negotiable. And, um, uh, you know... We we were quite um, we tried to push the boundaries a bit, you know. I mean, we didn't want to be twee and cuddly. We really didn't want to be that. And we, um, I think, to a certain extent, within the limitations, we kind of managed that. That's why we only did it for eighteen months. You glad you did it? Yes, I'm glad I did it. It was fun. I mean, it was, you know, so I'm different. Sure, yeah. It was such a different experience coming in every week doing a show. You know, puppeteers. It would have been a real, a real buzz around this. I mean, walking into a, sh- a television studio. Yeah, yes, yes. And when you went to the canteen, there was Tommy Cooper and oh Benny Hill. And, and what a time to be doing yeah. that as well. Yeah. You know, a massive time for BBC television. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. very exciting. Yeah, yeah it was exciting. Oh, it was exciting. Weird. And we wrote, while we were doing it, we moonlighted and we wrote the theme music to a, 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 um, a show called Seeing and Doing. Um, and that theme music ran for quite a while but then it was re-recorded by UB40 so, so we got a UB40 cut out of it oh well. my goodness they That's did a kind of reggae luck. version of it so, so um, back to the first album what, what did you do between the first album and the second album were you was it was, was, were you gigging a lot was that what you were doing um, yes I, I was doing some gigs um, and I yes it, it was kind of promoting the first album and and then I th- then I signed to Chrysalis, I, I left Ireland and I signed to Chrysalis, um, and did a um, quite a different album for Chrysalis, which um, I didn't like as much. Okay. Um, and I felt that that was um, although I love the producer Stuart Levine, who I think is fantastic, and I had Toto as my backing band basically. Yes. And um, who were all extraordinary musicians. Were you excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I was very excited. Yeah. But 
I, I I felt I kind of lost control of that a bit, and 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 it was all a bit slick and polished, and it didn't really sound like me. I thought in the end, um, and that was a lesson in keeping control, because you know, if you're going to be hung, it might as well be for your own mistakes. To quote Oscar Wilde, "Be yourself. Everyone else is taken." You know, and yeah. and and I felt I for that time I wobbled. You know what I mean? I was going, oh, how how do you want me? Should I be this? And mm. and the, you know, and and um, so it wasn't really me. And and you can hear it, you know. Mm. So then I didn't make an album for a thousand years. How was writing that album different in terms of like really physically writing the stuff? What were you writing about at that time? Was there a different theme running through your album? Um, always very different stuff. Always very different. Um, there was an, there was a song on that album called Falling, which is about um, Carl Willander, who's a tightrope walker, who died doing his job, falling off the wire. Um, there were so, sort of thinly disguised songs of love and pain, you know. Mm. But I was trying, if I'm writing something, I was trying to give it an angle, give it a spin. You know, um, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I try and think, you know, if I were looking at this album, the back of this album, and I were reading the titles, you know, do I really want to be interested in a song that just says, when you left me, you know? Well, it, of course, it might be a great song, you don't know, inside, yeah, but right. it's not necessarily going to draw me in, mm. um, you know? So I always try and come at it from another angle, if I can. We we um, we spent some time chatting with another songwriter a few weeks ago, and he, and he said the way he goes about it is he, he just has a massive list of song titles that really appeals to him and he just finds one and waits for a melody line to hit him that might fit those words is that something you you would say that you had done with with trying to think of really nice catchy kind of song titles and working to those a bit more than well the title is really important yes yeah. yeah, so the, the title is really really important i think and Generally, with with my own stuff, um, those titles tend to emerge somehow from something I've read, you know, or a snatch of conversation or something. And, as it a just, p- like that. and then I think, oh, that would yeah, be good, you know. Yeah. But um, for I, sometimes when writing for other people, you know, with my jobbing songwriter's hat on, um, and and if I've been stuck or something, you know, I I, I have, you know, I've done things like I've, um, I've I've got a book of Hollywood movies from the 1930s now, you know, look at the titles, try and see if there's something that would just, you know, mm. make me think of, give me an idea, mm. you know, newspaper headlines, you know, all the tricks. Do you have a particular favourite of yours that you have? What? Of, of of a track that you've done in the past. That you thought, oh, I really love that title. That's so. I, that, I did really well on that title. Um, well, I there was a song called "Dirt Makes Excellent Toothpaste," um, which came from a. Um, it was an advertisement in a magazine, a, a weekend supplement magazine, and it was actually for the Territorial Army. And what it meant was, if you're stuck in the jungle, um, you you clean your teeth with grit. Yes. And um, that, so they just said, dirt makes excellent toothpaste. And um, so I kind of worked up a song around the idea that, you know, if you've eaten a lot of dirt, you should be smiling. You know what I mean? You should have a great smile because you've eaten enough. You know, um, that was the idea of that. I, qu- I quite like um, 50 Pound Father, which is a song about bereavement counselling. 
um, it's um, about um, um, when my my father died and, and my brother died as well um, that I went to see a counsellor and he charged 50 pounds an hour um, and uh, I used to call him my 50 pound father mm. um, because that's what it cost um, and um, uh, captain of industry I, I'm always quite partial to that um, looking for my own lone ranger uh, there's a song I wrote with Terry Britton called Lost on South to Lose which has an internal joke that no one ever gets. It's not really, it's not, a, I mean, it's a very sad song. It's about the, the floods in, in New Orleans. It's a serious point about um, how after there's a huge disaster, people rush to help and there's a lot of publicity and media. And then after a bit of time, you know, people forget. Uh, you know, it's no longer news. And so how, yeah. um, you know, but the people who, whose lives it's, destroyed are left with that you know anyway that's songs about that mm. but i had lost on south to lose and um for me the internal sort of kick was lost and to lose lost on south to lose but no one ever gets that <laughs> not even terry Britton got that and he wrote it with me it's like oh yeah <laughs> whatever that's very clever very clever who cares no one knows no one gets it anyway well, now so just know. one for me then yeah just you can you can just chuck it to me. yourself yeah yeah you win. what what say say you're walking down the street mm. and you're you're just kind of walking past a shop or something and you yeah. hear a song for the first time yeah um what jumps out at you what makes what what makes you your head turn you know is it the melody line is it the is it the rhythm what what gets you going um, I think it probably is initially the melody. It's probably the melody and the and the way the lyric rhythmically fits to that melody. You know, I think that the first thing you hear is the melody, and then and then if it's if it's a load of cotton wool and throwaway stuff, it's less interesting. You know, um, but. Uh, Yes, that's probably the first thing I listen to, and then you know, with a with a few more listens, if I get to hear it again, you know, it's it's is it interesting and is it engaging? I mean, Paul Simon says that if you're going to be, um, you know, complicated, then you should always be simple, as well. After that, you know what I mean. You shouldn't have a load of dense stuff that is should should have been a poem, you know, because it's a song, you know. So things like the boxer, which is lovely lyrics. But then he'll go la 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 to kind of, you know, be a something different, you know, to bring in a different feeling to it, you know. And, and I always try and remember that in my own writing. Mm. Do you have a particular track that you think you did well at with that? Oh. Off the top of your head? Oh, God. Sleep All Day uh, was a song that uh, is quite simple sounding um but it's um it's deeper than you think i i hope um well there was a song years ago my first cover actually my first big cover which was for sheena easton in in um in the 80s it was called strut totally secret release in england i mean it, nobody and people thought i was making it up when i said i'd had a hit it was number four in america that was quite wordy and had a sort of narrative to it but um, there was just a big chorus of uh, strut 
you know, like a lot of marching guys going, strut. At the time that worked. It's, it's such an 80s sounding record though, mm. it really is. Mm. It's got a little pit poppity um, bongos. <laughs> do you, do you um do you feel uh, at the moment music uh, is anybody doing that well at the moment combining melody and, and lyrics at the same time? Oh yes, yeah. Who, who do you think's doing that well? Um, I rather like John Grant. I think he's. Do you know him at all? He's kind of weird and interesting. I I love people like Elbow. I mean, they they they're not particularly known for their rhythmic. I mean, they are rhythmic, but you know, you don't you don't necessarily go out and dance to to your elbow records, although, why not? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, when I first heard um, "Up All Night to Get Lucky," I thought, "God damn, I hate that song." <laughs> but actually, um, I was listening to the, the construction of that, and and it's and it's um, simple but clever. That's simple, it is a really clever. simple song, yeah. It is a yeah. really simple song, yeah. but but the way he puts the melody over those same chords, you know, it, it's it, it's very clever. Yeah. And actually, it's not that busy. That if you listen to the well, the mixes that I've heard, I'm sure there've been a dozen other mixes, but mm. the the one that's mainly played on the radio is um, it's it's quite simple. There's not actually that much on it, which is why it's so brilliant. I wouldn't say I go home and sit and play that. That's just that's a you know something yeah. in the car. It's something you like, yeah. Yeah. On the radio, I guess, because it's everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah you can't help but listen to you it. You can't. Really. You yeah. can't help but listen to it. But yeah. uh, there's lots of. Oh, I mean, there's a singer called Maya Andrade, um, who's um, Cuban, I think, and um, she works with these Cuban musicians. And, and I mean, there you're talking about fantastic. I don't know what the hell she's singing about. I hope it's interesting, but you know what I mean? The way she kind of curls her voice over the rhythm and everything mm. and the bass playing is fantastic. The drumming's fantastic. You know, all that stuff is, is brilliant. I mean, that's, that's the good thing about now is that you can, you can get whatever music you want, you know, hopefully not free. But yeah, you can get it anywhere. You can get it from anywhere, you know, which yeah. is, which is great. So yeah, yeah. you know. So how did your songwriting change as you moved into, um, well, you, you mentioned about having your songwriting hat and, and you started doing a lot more co-writing. Yes. How did it change in that, in that time? Usually having to be simpler, lyrically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I couldn't get weird like I like to get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? Well, um, <coughs> you know, I if you're going to write something that's um, um, quirky and and uh, deeply personal, you probably will write it yourself if you're an artist. You know what I mean? That's probably, you know, so often the people who I would actually love to write with, they write their own stuff. You know what I mean? They don't they don't want someone else writing with them. But occasionally you get um, artists who, who, who will um, be a bit adventurous. But in general, um, how has it changed my writing? I suppose what it does is it, it makes me, if I'm doing my job properly and well, um, I should sort of be invisible, you know what I mean? Because I should make the song sound like the artist and not like somebody who's been a bit slick and um, clever, you know, with the old wordplay and everything like that. It should just sound like the artist. Mm. 
Um, and that means you have to kind of subvert your own ego and just try and be an enabler, you know, mm. and make them sound genuine, you know, that they're, you know, that it sounds genuine what's coming out of their mouth and doesn't, because I can hear stuff because I've been doing this quite a long time now. I can hear stuff where I go, oh, I bet that's written by, you know, a couple of old hacks. It's very good and it's very clever, but it just sounds like it could, was taken off a shelf in a um, supermarket to me. Um, some of that stuff and the art is to make it not sound like that to make it sound like that artist just went I've just written this everybody and you believe them so, so um, we've been reading up on you and researching and saw a few names that you've worked with um, do you have a particular one that kind of stands out that you really love working with well all all the sort of the, the, the biggest covers I mean, I wrote with Jimmy Nail. That was the UK number one. Um, yes. So that was he. He was part of the writing process. Okay, yeah. Um, but it was a it was a little bit remote in that I was um, I was away writing the lyric, you know, okay, and yeah. it was and and then he would look at it and go, or. <laughs> Did you have a melody line at that point, and then you were just kind of like putting lyrics on top of the melody? Well, line? with ain't no doubt, um, mm. they had that track which was. Um, uh, Danny Sugar and Guy Pratt they really had this um, storming track that was kind of based on you know the American marching song and I've been told yeah, yeah, the US streets are paved with gold yeah. you know and and they had ain't no doubt it's plain to see woman like you's no good for me that's all they had and uh, th and they had the tune but they had no there was no tune there was no tune in the verses, mm. and and I listened to it for a while, and then I wondered if it would be a good idea to make him like a kind of narrator and to sort of speak the words, you know. And also, he's an actor. Actually, he's a really good actor. Yeah. And um, so I said to Danny and Guy, do you reckon he'd go for that? It does sound very different when you uh, hear it. It's, and, it's uh, a good idea. Yeah. yeah, he did it well. Yeah. He did it really well. And um, so he went for that. And, um, and then... There was the, um, a little kind of bridge bit um, that um, is sung. And nobody that's true. Say you'll always be my friend, sweet darling. Um, why does she pretend? And he goes, she's lying, she's lying. Yeah, that was, that was the only bit of melody I put in. But they all used to take the piss and say that, um, they used to say, she's ironing. <laughs> Very good. That was that was good fun. Um, and when I wrote for Celine Dion, obviously she wasn't in the picture. Um, originally, "Refuse to Dance" was a song I wrote for my album, and I'd never heard of Celine Dion. You know, Chris <laughs> Neal, the producer, said, "Oh, there's this girl. It's French Canadian girl, and um, that would be good for her." And I said, "Who?" And uh, he said, "Big in Canada." And you go, "Yeah, yeah, big in Canada." You know, heard that one before. Uh, yeah. Yes, and she went for it. All credit to her for doing something unlike what everything else she did on that album. It was really quite different. Mm. And the same with um, Rain Tax. It's inevitable, which was the um, the song on on um, a couple of albums later that she did, which wasn't written for actually for her. We had a kind of brandy on Monica in 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 mind. That's me and Terry Britton. We never would have thought she would do that, but she did. 
that's not like anything mm. else she did on that album either. Um, so w- when I say I've had Celine D- Dion covers, people think they must be ballads, you know, big chest-beating ballads, but they're not. You know, our, our songs are always the ones that go, ooh, why does she do that one? Yeah. That's weird. You know, but she great. Obviously, she obviously likes them. She Yes, good, good, you know, good for her for picking yeah. something different. Different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we worked with George Harrison and how was... Um, the, the George Harrison thing is a strange thing. Um, I did. I I knew George. I was never a close friend. Um, I was always, you know, very much in the outer sanctum, not yeah. the inner sanctum. Yeah. I knew people who knew George, yeah. and I did meet him a few times. And and a lovely man he was. Uh-huh. Um, and I played Fear of Flying, which was on my first album. It was my first ever single, actually. I played it at his house. Just sat round. We everybody used to sit round playing guitars with him and Eric Idle, which is how I met. George was through Eric Idle yeah. because they were great chums they were very close because um, <coughs> George loved the Pythons oh. and um, Eric loved the Beatles so it was a Pretty marriage much. made in yeah. heaven you know I, we, I just sat around playing Fear of Flying it was one of the things we played and I found out later that he sort of learnt it and used to play it and to himself perhaps yeah, yeah just you know um, he just liked playing it and and um, after he died, um, Eric told me that um, there was a recording of it. And he said, did you know he recorded it? And I, no, I, I didn't wow. know he recorded it. I didn't know. And, um, and he said, would you like to hear it? Said, no, not really. No, I don't want to hear it. Don't <laughs> trouble me with such things. Oh. No, I, I know. So I said, yes, yes, please, can I hear it? And um, so I was allowed to hear it. And it was just on a laptop. It was Olivia's laptop, his wife. And I was allowed to listen to it on headphones. I don't have a copy. I don't own a copy. I'm not allowed to have a copy. Yeah. Um, so you've only heard it once? I've heard it twice. Actually, I was invited up another time randomly to have another listen for some oh. reason. So I went. And um, she says that she will um, release it um, as part of his unreleased stuff okay. in the fullness of time. Yeah. But she said she felt quite private about it. She said she felt that there's so much of his stuff was known by people. Everything was known. Everything was had been breathed over, listened to, picked apart by the public. And here was something that was private. And she said she felt quite sort of protective of it in a way yeah. because it was like a private recording. And um, and she said, I hope you'll understand. And I went, yes, all right. I just think, God, I'd really love him to release that. Of mm. course I would, yeah. you know, but... Um, I'm sure that the young girl in you was just jumping up and down and you couldn't believe that... <laughs> yes, of course. Oh well, when gosh. he first played it, uh, um, I was um, in the garden at his house yeah. and, he, and he had his feet up on the table and he was just playing it. And he said, this is so simple. This is so simple. You know, and sang it. So simple to play, isn't it? Yeah. And and I wanted to turn. I was the least f- famous person there, of yeah. course, you know. And I wanted to go. A Beatle, he's playing my, he's playing my song to someone, you know. But uh, everyone else was a bit too cool, you know. So yeah, there wasn't sure. really anyone to go. <laughs> In the corner with you, yeah, <laughs> yes. getting all excited. Yeah, mm. I was, I was, I still am actually. One day, I, I, I think, you know, I hope one day she'll, she'll feel she says you know as time goes on yeah and she's collating all the stuff you know she's curating all the reams of material that there there is there up mm. at the studio and gradually as she sees fit she just release bits of it 
Yeah. So one day maybe. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. so. Yeah, pretty big milestone of a Beatle playing your track. Yeah, yeah. yes, yeah, who'd so. have thought well, yeah. that little girl going, I want to marry Paul. <laughs> oh. So... Well, we, so we know that you, you, you play the piano and you play the, the guitar and th- that's yeah. what you write with. Yeah. But um, how do you practically construct and where do these ideas come from and then how do you put them in to place? Do you play some chords first? I'll, I'll sometimes have a few titles floating around that mm-hmm. I like the idea of, but quite often the, the, the songs that are the most successful come sort of organically and there'll be a little chord shape that I play on the piano or the guitar and there'll be a little phrase that comes with that, that goes with that. And um, I'll s- usually start with that, I- if I like it, you know, mm. and play that over and over. And then, and then I'll continue with the music. So then I'll create a, a, yeah, usually the tune is finished before the words are, and then I have to go back and do it like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. And, um, no, not a jigsaw puzzle, um, a crossword. So I've already got, you know, three across and four down and um, 19 across and I have to fill in the rest of it and make sure it sounds you know believable and and it's the best it can be mm. and that there aren't any lazy bits that will come back and haunt me we've had that a few times on the podcast people saying you know you've got to be really convinced with your songs and, and not just just do that because you need a quick solution it'll do at the time yeah yeah, yeah. we'll do that again later yeah. yes and we've heard no, people can't say do that. they regret that and, and uh, it's worth pursuing those little bits and making sure that you're 100 percent yes. positive yes yeah. yes you have to you i think you ideally i mean it doesn't always happen because sometimes you know if you're writing especially if you're writing with an artist you have to let things go you know what i mean because they go no i want to say i love you why don't you come back and you go how does that make you feel? Yeah, uh, that makes it sound like I don't want to do anything direct and and honest. You know what I mean. Sometimes that might be the very best thing you can actually say. You know that might be right, but sometimes it can be really dull and and kind of um, just like a million other things that have been said before. And sometimes, perhaps because they're inexperienced or whatever, they might hang on to it and go, "I wa- I want that. I want that." And so you you know it's they're you know they're the artist so you have to sometimes just go okay yeah you have to do that sometimes you Mm. know and sometimes it is hard because you want to go i didn't write that bit yeah boring fyi everybody i didn't write that yeah that bit's mine the good bit yeah (laughs) you know but i mean um sometimes you know writing with an artist it can be you know they can take you in a place that you just wouldn't have gone and and um uh some something that's just you know, it's from a, somebody else's brain and, and then perspective, and it's lovely. And you can learn things, you know, as well if you're open, you know. And I try and do that as well. I try mm. not to be like, okay, impress me. Um, I mean, I, I that's not the person I am. I mean, mm. I, I I usually roll over actually, if somebody's really really keen on an idea. I I I would generally roll over. Mm. That's co-writing, and you have to be generous and and um sort of chivalrous about it as well you know because if somebody really has an idea that they're you know desperate to do who are you to come in with your yeah. i've been doing this 25 yeah, you know yeah. what i mean you, you you know might be the wrong 25 years but 
I, I've worked with some um, interesting young artists too, you know, yeah. and, and, and not just the established ones, and, and they're often really interesting too. Is, have you been working with anybody in particular recently that you... Um, um, I've just um, been working with a, um, a, a very interesting girl called Alva Lee, um, okay. who's from Mississippi. Oh, cool. And do, you, do, you, do you write... Uh, across the internet, or do you actually? Well, no, actually, together? she lives here. Oh, she, she is she, here. She oh, lives brilliant. here now. Great. She, she's um, uh, yeah. She decided she likes to live in England. Um, I, I met her actually when I was um, giving a sort of a masterclass for a songwriting company. Okay. And she was one of the ones. She one of the students. That's what this thing I was saying earlier about uh, Americans um, being more open to being being students about stuff. You know what I mean when they're. When they're already doing the job, they'll mm. go back and do a a, um, a class or a workshop or whatever. You know, I think that's yeah. um, a nice thing. Anyway, she's already made a couple of albums and things, and um, she's she's still young, you know. Um, but uh, I, she was in doing the class, you know, and she played her stuff, and I thought it was really good, interesting, you know. And um, and then the guy running the course said, um, "Do you fancy doing a song with her? She needs a couple more for her album." So uh, that was uh, interesting. And um, Luke Jackson, who was nominated for the Radio 2 Folk, Young Folk Artist of the Year and the Horizon Award. I'm working with him, doing a couple of things with him. Um, uh, ones to watch. And beyond songwriting, what are you doing? What have, we, what have you been doing recently, more recently? Um, I've, been doing, um, I've been doing gigs um, to support my own albums. Um, I had an album um, which which came out um, um, in 2011, yep. um, Cheapskate Lullabies, yeah. and and I've been doing gigs on on the back of that um, periodically. That's that's been great because I spent a lot of time not gigging. You know, I spent a lot of time in the back room writing for other people, and um, so while my contemporaries were plodding around the country and doing lots of gigs and building themselves a fan base, um, I was a complete secret. Mm. So I'm trying to make up lost time sure. and get out there and, yeah. and go, um, here I am. Was there anything different about the, the recent album from the work that you've done back in the past? Well, the, the, in, um, in um, 2005, um, there was an album called Sleep All Day, um, and that was the first album since um, oh, over 10 years. Um, that was the first time I started doing stuff that I really um, felt just suited me and I had no um, con concept or construct of, of trying to be commercial as such, you know, trying to be poppy or getting on the playlist or, or you know, uh, I mean, it would be brilliant if those things happened, of course, and mm. every time you get a play on the radio, you're, yeah, it's great, you know, yeah. more people will have heard it, mm. you know. It's not relevant for me to just try and write stuff to be commercial you know I mean I'll try my hardest to do that for other people you know of course I will mm. I do regularly you know but I but I for myself I just have to do what seems right for me you know um, otherwise there's no point I try and for myself um, since mm, 2005 when I've made Sleep All Day Cuckoo Hill um, Sheepskate lullabies and finally a limousine all those things I've tried to make them um, that I could put my hand up to any of those and say yes I, you, they represent me yeah 
a lot more creative freedom by the sounds of yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Has it been a nice thing to have that creative yes. freedom? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Refreshing, perhaps? Yes, really yeah. refreshing. Oh, yes, it's lovely. Yeah. It's lovely. Well, thank you very much for, for your time chatting with us. Oh, thank you. Good questions. Very you reckon? Good co- yes. Oh, well, yes. Thank you very much. Yeah, good questions. Yes. It's, uh, well, yeah. it's, it makes it easier if the questions are interesting. I think one of the things that really sticks out from my time talking with Charlie is how important it is to find the right people to have working with you on your music. For example, her experience with her second album, where she wasn't as satisfied as she hoped. And now she only seems to work with people who are on the same page as her. And I think as songwriters listening to this starting out, it's essential that we find the right people behind us to make the music that we envision. As always, thanks for listening and until next time.